Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number 34. Genesis, chapter number 34. I want to read uh, some portions from this chapter. We'll begin at the beginning and finish at the end and uh, leave a little bit out in the middle for the sake of time. But Genesis, chapter number 34, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor the father of Shechem went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because... He had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife. And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, The land shall be before you, dwell and trade ye therein, and get ye possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully and said, Because he had defiled Dinah their sister, and they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you, if ye will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, Then will we give our daughters unto you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. Now down to verse number 25. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field 
and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, Should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? Well, this is not a pretty story. And I was thinking that with a family camp slash conference, that it would be good to end with a happy story. I guess that's probably what we might expect as we would go away with uh, some joy in our hearts, but certainly what we've read here is an ugly passage in the Word of God. It's a low point. It was the low point in the turbulent life of Jacob. It was the day that he received the news that every parent must dread that his teenage daughter, Dinah, was pregnant. Now, there are several obvious things that we can observe about this account, things that I don't want to pass by. I want to point out that we would understand for our edification. First of all, we see in this story how the devil will approach us. The devil will work primarily through the eye gate. As God would work through the ear gate, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we see through the scriptures that the devil approaches often through what we see in our eyes. In verses 1 and 2, notice, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see, to see the daughters of the land, and Shechem, the Bible says in verse 2, when he saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So a lot of this sin came about because of young people and their sight, what they were seeing. But the Bible speaks about that, does it not? In 1 John chapter 2, it talks about the lust of the eyes. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We go back into the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us that when Eve was, uh, she, was, uh, uh, she was deceived by the devil, by the serpent, she saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that. The devil approached through the eye gate. Achan, in the book of Joshua, chapter number 7, when he was found out, he said, I saw a Babylonish garment. I saw among the spoils and he took them and of course that caused problems. Samson is another example. In Judges 14 verse 1 he said, the Bible says he saw a woman in Timnath and in Gaza he saw there an harlot. Samson had a problem with his eyes. It's interesting that at the end of his days his eyes were put out. David on the rooftop saw a woman washing herself that led to the grievous sin of adultery and murder and lying. You know, in all these things, it's necessary for you and me to follow the action of Job who said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why should I think upon a maid? 
There are things that the devil will use to allure us, to draw us away. And certainly when it comes to this story, uh, we see that Dinah, uh, through the eye gate, was tempted and fell into sin with Shechem. Our young people today are being desensitized to sin, to violence and immorality, through the amusements of the world, everything is there for them to see. And many times our young people are deceived by the devil and led into sin. And so one thing that comes out from this account here is the, is the devil's approach through the eye gate. Another thing that I think we can see here is the pull of peer pressure. The Bible said she went out to see the daughters of the land. She wanted to get out with other young people and, you know, there's an inherent desire, I think in all of us, but certainly noticeably in teenagers and youth, a desire for conformity and acceptance with their peers. Nobody likes to be the odd person out. We want to get along with everybody. And while that in many ways is a normal desire, it's also can be something that is very dangerous if we allow peer pressure to dominate and to govern our life. And the pull can be very, very deceptive. I think of the example of a great man of God by the name of Barnabas. And it's recorded for us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 13 when uh, Peter had come up to Antioch and uh, he was eating like we did today in a fellowship meal, a, a dinner, we sat together and... Uh, Yet when some came from the church in Jerusalem, Peter separated himself and ate only with the Jews. And the Bible says the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. In other words, peer pressure was strong and insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. You see, this idea of peer pressure is not just something that we can pass off on our young people. I've seen it among preachers that preacher peer pressure to be like the other preachers and to form that uh, acceptance that we all crave and desire. Our young people, as well as all of us, I think, need to be directed toward godly examples and not worldly idols. The world will hold up those that we want to emulate, but none of it is godly and uh, it can be a trap. We see the pull of peer pressure. The third thing I see here is the shame of sexual sin. In verse number two, the Bible says that Shechem uh, took Dinah, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. In verse number seven, they, uh, the sons of Jacob uh, heard that uh, uh, he had lain with Jacob's daughter. There is a shame in sexual sin. Once committed, it cannot be undone. It can be forgiven but the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 32 and 33 says, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul, a wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. That is one of those sins that will mar and affect a person's life throughout the days of their life. Fornication is a sin no matter how many people engage in it today. And fornication is rife in our society. And like most sins, it brings a pleasure for a season. 
It is something that I'm sure at the time Dinah and Shechem had enjoyed that act. But the consequences were disastrous. Sin not only has pleasure, which is passing, it's seasonal, but many times sin offers benefits that we would use to justify the sin. Look down at verse number 9. This is what Hamor said. And he was building up all that could happen now because of what has taken place. He said, And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you, and ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get ye possessions therein. There is a benefit for what has taken place. And many times sin will have its benefits. There will be allurements to say, if you, have, if you desire this, that, uh, you know, it'll help you get along in the world and so forth. Well, the devil's very deceptive. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And many times we use these things to justify what we're doing without regard to what God says and certainly without regard to the consequences of our sin. And so we see how the devil works through the eye gate. Uh, we see, uh, the, we see the, uh, the uh, pull of peer pressure here and the shame of sexual sin. And then a fourth thing that I would point out is there is a natural desire to shed blood to somehow cover up the sin. As we see the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, went and slew all the males and, uh, you know, they thought that that would cover up the sin, but the sin was done. Today, the natural desire among many to cover up a sin such as this is abortion, to shed the blood of an innocent unborn child, as if to cover the shame and the sin that has been done. You know, secret sins will lead to open shame. In verse number 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. I mean, this thing cannot be kept hidden. And uh, it defiles both the perpetrator and the family. It will defile a church. It will ultimately defile a nation. And so all of these things we can just observe by reading this sad account of how sin uh, gets a hold of people and how sin is so deceptive. But my question this afternoon, in all of this sordid affair, and perhaps a question that's not always asked, is where were the parents? Where were the parents? In other words, what were Jacob and Leah doing at this time? How come they allowed this to happen, that their young daughter would be defiled in such a way? Now, in asking this question, I realise that these matters are never straightforward, especially in an age of unchecked social media. And certainly, Dinah herself must take responsibility for her actions, because, like all of us, she was a sinner. She was a sinner by birth. She was a sinner in her nature. 
and her deed, and eventually she was a sinner by choice. She did have a choice in this matter. She could have done right, but she chose wrong. And so she must be responsible as well. You know, even in our homes, compliant children, children who grow up in our homes and are a great joy to be around because they're just so easy and they never caused any problems. But if they are untouched by God, they too can lead to great sorrow in the family. I emphasised at the family camp the need for children to have their own faith in God, that your God will become their God, that they know him personally because if they're just resting in the God and the Christianity of their parents and their home, that will not hold up for them when they get out into life itself. You know, a plant will naturally grow toward what it craves. Plants desire light and moisture. And so you'll find that sometimes trees will lean a certain direction or they'll grow in certain places because there are things that they desire. And the desires of the heart are going to lead us into the actions, whether good or bad. And we know that successful godly children always begin with the parents. So as we look at this terrible account here, I want to consider the parents' role in the tragedy. You know, we do have a part to play. We may blame Dinah, we may blame Shechem, but uh, where were the parents in all of this? And there are some other Bible examples that I would just bring to your attention. For example, Eli. Uh, Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, uh, speaking of his, uh, what God had to say to him through young Samuel, God said, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Uh, here's an example of a dad who had some sons that were not living right, they were actually doing wickedly, and the Bible says he knew it, but he didn't do anything about it. Eli n neglected to attend to his son's spiritual condition, but he went ahead and made them priests anyway. When they sinned, he came to them and he had a very weak protest. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22 through 25, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, it's not a matter of if. It was a matter of you sinned against the Lord. But he said, if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? That's about as much as he would say. You know, if you're doing wrong, God will get you for it. Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Eli was permissive. He gave his sons their way. He put his sons before God. In uh, verse 29, God said to Eli, Why kick he at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honourest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest 
of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So Eli gives us a bad example. He would not correct or restrain his sons. David is another example. As a father, three of his seven sons are particularly highlighted in the word of God for our learning and our instruction. The three of them A's, the Amnon, Absalom and Adonijah. Amnon, the eldest son, lusted after his own sister, his half-sister, and talked to a friend about it, talked about his passion. He had a friend who gave him worldly advice and he went and raped his sister to fulfil his own lusts. Then comes Absalom who killed Amnon and then later rebelled against his father, usurping the kingdom, defiling the concubines of David in full view of the people and only himself to be killed in an ignominious way, hanging by his hair from an oak tree and used for target practice. And then in 1 Kings chapter 1, we have Adonijah, who was the usurper. He tried to take the throne instead of Solomon. And he himself was murdered, hanging on to the altar of God. But I want you to notice what uh, the Bible says there in 1 Kings chapter 1 about Adonijah and about David. The Bible says in verse 6, And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? He never, he, he never said anything about Adonijah's character, about his sin. He was permissive. And not only that, he said, the Bible says, and he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Now, if you look at 2 Samuel 14.25, which will not turn there, but Absalom is noted for his beauty. And I mentioned before at some point that there can be a danger of child worship among parents and grandparents, good-looking children, and we tend to idolise those. And David did that. He was adoring his kids, not realising their true heart's condition. He was a doting father. And as you look at it, he sought, tried to, to win their love by spoiling them. He failed to correct them. And because of that, these, these boys died. They were murdered. They were killed. It's, it's a terrible thing. When Amnon raped his sister, David got very mad about it, but that's all he did. He, he did nothing about it. He just got angry. When Absalom then murdered his brother, David was heartbroken, but he did nothing about it. He sent Absalom away, but of years he had to have him back he just couldn't be without his son and here Adonijah uh, he had never displeased his father at any time what a wonderful son that is but but that wasn't the case he was a rebel you know scriptural correction for a child makes a child feel loved the bible tells us that in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 it's interesting because the world would say uh, you would spank a child if you hated a child or if you, you were some uh, mean person. But uh, if I can just find Hebrews chapter 12 here, uh, looking at verse 5 and 6, 
And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And then it goes on to talk about fathers doing the same. When we are chastened by God, it's not because God hates us, it's because God loves us. And in the same realm, when our children are corrected by fathers, by parents, it's because the parents love them. It's not because they hate their children, want to do them bodily harm or hurt them in some way. It's because they want them to do right. And you know what? People say, well, if I spank my child or if I correct my child, they'll just, uh, they'll just run from me. But, you know, Hebrews 12 and verse 9 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And what is the result? And we gave them reverence. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? You will win the love and respect of your child if you apply correction in a biblical and a proper way because it shows them that you care enough to do that. The problem with David is he just let it, let it go. He may have had feelings about it, he may have gotten angry about it, but he let it go and let his sons go and what did it accomplish? It accomplished coffins and funerals and tears and death. We can learn from that. Now I might point out that all these fathers, Jacob, Eli and David, would be considered in the New Testament sense as Christian dads. These were not people who were reprobates, these were not people who had nothing to do with God, these were in God's plan and in God's servant service and yet they failed in their children and so when we ask the question back here in Genesis chapter number 34 the story of Dinah we're asking the question where were the parents I want to bring out five areas of parental failure that are exemplified in Jacob Five areas of failure. Number one was a failure to be in the centre of God's will. A failure to be in the centre of God's will. In Genesis chapter 33, uh, we read how Jacob had left his uncle Laban there in Padan Aram and had come back uh, and uh, met up with Esau. And in verse number 17, And Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him a house, and made booths for his cattle, therefore the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Now, you say, what... It, what does that have to do with, with uh, God's will? Well, if you study the scriptures, you'll find that when Jacob was to go back to uh, where he came from, when he fled from Esau, God instructed him to go back to Bethel. He said, go back to Bethel. That was where Jacob first encountered God. And that's where the house of God was. 
He said, go back there. But what do we find Jacob doing? Instead, he's journeying to Sukkoth. And instead of maintaining the pilgrim lifestyle, he builds him a house. Then he buys land. And I say, that is not in the will of God. At best, we could say that Jacob was close to the will of God, but he was not in the will of God. Now, parents, you cannot play games with God, especially before your children. How do you expect your children to follow the Lord if you don't? If you are not faithful in church attendance, why would you expect your children to be faithful? If you are not faithful in giving or in serving God in some way, why would you expect your children to do that? You see, children can see through hypocrisy. If you're a Sunday-only Christian, you're teaching your children that that's as far as they need to go. And, uh, you know, uh, being out of the will of God as a dad uh, is going to lead your family out of the will of God. God's great, though. I mean, he used this shameful incident to actually get Jacob back to Bethel. <laughs> Look at ch chapter 35 and verse 1. After all of this had taken place, and God said to Jacob, under Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. That's where I told you to go. And dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. That's what needs to happen when we're out of God's will. We need to go just back to where God's will is. But what cost? What was the cost of getting Jacob into the will of God? And sadly there were many Christian homes where mom and dad stepped out of the will of God, lost their children... And it's taken the heartbreak of tragedy such as this to bring the parents back into the house of God, into the place where God would have them to be. So there was a failure to be in the centre of God's will in Jacob's life. And I would say, dads, especially if you're not in God's will and you know it, then you need to get back there because it's going to affect your children. Number one, failure to be in the centre of God's will. Number two, a failure to live a separated life. While we're looking there in Genesis 35, it's interesting what takes place when they get back to Bethel. You know, we might cry out against Dinah's secret sin, but the fact is Jacob had some secrets of his own. Uh, in verse number 2 of chapter 35, then, that word is important, then, when he gets to Bethel, then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Jacob finally got right with God and look what he had to instruct his family and those that were with him to do. You see, he had tolerated those idols from his wife's past. Rachel came from a, a somewhat pagan background and and uh, Laban, her father, was using these teraphim, these images. Uh, he were, these were sometimes cast onto the ground and however they fell uh, was supposed to be divining what the gods would want. And, and when she snuck away that night with her husband and left Laban, she uh, secretly took those idols. Genesis 31, 19, Laban went to shear his sheep 
and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And if you're familiar with the story, when he caught up with them, they were in the camel, the saddlebags on the camel, but she sat there and wouldn't allow him to inspect the camels. And those secret idols, now what is Jacob saying? They're in all of the family. You see, it began secret, she hid them, but now we're here in chapter 35, he's telling everybody, put away those strange gods and be clean and change your garments. Initially, only Rachel knew about this, but it was allowed to spread to all family members. And that's because it's impossible to contain sin. And so where were the parents? Well, number one, a failure to live in the will of God. Number two, a failure to live a separated life. Number three, a failure, I think, to properly instruct his children. Dinah was 14 years of age. What was she doing out on the town at that age? And this was not a forcible event that took place. It wasn't a rape. As I read the story, I see a naive young girl being taken advantage of by an older young man. But could it be that she was never properly instructed and prepared for life? You know, parents need to sit down with young people at an early age and begin to instruct them. And there are some things we need to tell our children in this regard. And I can, th I can think of three. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honourable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Our children need to understand that God's will is for them to be married. Marriage is honourable. That's what God has ordained. And the bed undefiled. That is, that there is no impurity or immorality that precedes marriage. And our young people need to be told that they, if they wait, they will have uh, a proper union. And there's great joy and pleasure in all of that. Today, a lot of young people are just thinking, well, we'll live together. Uh, and uh, they think it's, it's a better way. It's not a better way. And it leaves a mark. Teach your children to wait for God to bring their life partner into their life. Teach them to trust God and they will be blessed. Here's another thing I think we need to instruct our children. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. We need to teach our children that there are some taboos until marriage. That uh, they need to avoid uh, hugging and kissing and petting and all of those things that it seems like is the normal expectation of, of, uh, of young people today. Those things belong on the other side in marriage, not before marriage. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, it doesn't mean you can't shake hands, <laughs> uh, but it's talking about in an immoral way. Our children need to learn that because the world will teach them the opposite. And here's another one, number three, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6.14. We need to teach our children that they need to marry in the faith not to be uh, unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What does it mean to marry in the faith? Just somebody who says, I'm a Christian? Probably not. I think they need to be saved and have a good testimony of salvation. But I also think they need to be sound in the doctrines of God's word. 
I actually had a, an uncle and an aunt many years ago. He went to one church and she went to another. But the problem is that, uh, you, you know, it, it just creates confusion in the home. And so, uh, look, young ladies and young men, you should be looking for a partner when, when it's time uh, and, and praying for them that, that, that they'll be saved, they'll, they'll be sound in the faith, they'll be good, uh, good Baptists and that they're serving the Lord. You don't want to marry a man who's doing nothing for Christ. In fact, I think uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about serving God and one of the great ways for young people to come and find each other as, as life partners is to be first serving God alongside each other in a ministry. Um, but these are things that we need to teach. And I wonder if, if Jacob ever sat down with his daughter or, uh, or Leah sat down and said, Dinah, there's some things you're at an age where you need to understand. A failure to properly instruct his children. Number four, a failure to instill by example godly character in his children. It's very interesting in verse 13 of chapter 34, we read that the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father, deceitfully and said because he had defiled Dinah their sister these these men answered deceitfully <clears throat> well the deceit was a was a sin that ran in the family remember that Isaac deceived uh, was uh, he deceived um, uh, the uh, the Philistines uh, and uh, Jacob deceived Isaac his father when he put on the skins remember uh, he was a deceiver. In fact, the, the, uh, the name Jacob means a, a cheat. And uh, that was his character. And then later he deceived Uncle Laban, who was also a deceiver. It was quite a battle. And then he deceived Esau. And what do we find? Now his sons are following in their father's footsteps. And they are now using deceit. This was a way of life. And the quality of Jacob is seen in his children. They answered deceitfully. There was a failure to instill by godly character, uh, by example, godly character in his children. You know, no one knows you better than yourself and the Lord. But here's a good test. Ask yourself this question. Am I perfectly happy to have my children grow up to be just like me? That's a good test, isn't it? Well, number five, and finally, there was a failure in thinking more of the world's approval than of God's approval. We see this in verse number 30. And you might want to underline or circle, <coughs> excuse me, the personal pronouns here, Jacob's reaction to what his sons had done. Jacob said to Simeon and to Levi, ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. It seems to me that Jacob was more concerned about what was going to happen to him than being concerned about the stink in the nostrils of God. You, you've made me to stink among the inhabitants. Well... A testimony is important, but that was all Jacob was concerned about, that what would people think? 
Well, I think a, a question that comes before that is what would God think? What does God say? Many Christian parents have worldly goals for their children. Whether it be in education, we often hear parents say, I want my child to get on in the world. <laughs> really? Not sure about that these days. Whether it's in sport or athletics, I want my child to receive the acclaim and hero worship that I never received. Or whether it's with wealth, I do not want my child to struggle like I had to struggle. And yet in your struggle, you learn to trust God. But so often we deprive our children because we're thinking more of the world's approval than of God's. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. And if we're concerned to have our children get on in the world, then all we're doing in many cases is preparing them for compromise and disappointment. This is a sad story, but it's a story that is sadly repeated in the lives of far too many people and families today. And sadly, even more sadly, if I can put it that way, in the homes of Christians. Parents, and particularly fathers, are tasked with bringing up their children that God has given to them. But we also need to understand that we can bring them down. And character is often more caught than taught. Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land. And a lot of that was because of the failure of her parents. I trust that in your heart, as a parent, you will pray to God that he will keep you living right for him so that you can not only be an example but be an encouragement to your children. And uh, like I said, I, I would like to have finished on a, on a happy story. But you know, most of the examples in the Bible are examples of failure. But they are written there for our admonition upon whom the, end of, the ends of the world have come. God put these stories here to show us what can happen if we allow sin and Satan and self to have its way. I trust that you'll determine, if you haven't already, that you won't let that happen with God's grace. Thank you, my brother.